It may be because they simply painted what surrounded them in daily life. Hey, is that a picture of Stonehenge? Yes, it is. Oh, I've always been fascinated by Stonehenge. Ever since I saw this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> that people would take centuries to build a calendar is amazing. And the size of it. Yes, the size of it. There are 30 pillars, each over 13 feet tall. It weighs 25 tons and stretches almost 100 feet. I hear it's one of the most romantic places in the world. We'll have to go there sometime. Albert, look, at the time, it... Let's go. The renovations to the museum look very impressive. Hey, where are we going? Well, the reception is in the new Renaissance wing, but why don't we take a detour and I'll show you around. Sounds great. I'd love detour. The Egyptian galleries are this way. These body positions don't make any sense. They're completely unnatural. Actually, realism was very important to the Egyptians. A lot of art that comes from this period was placed in the tombs. They tried to make it as realistic as possible because they believed that what you see is what you get. In other words, what they painted is what the deceased brought into the afterlife with him. If you look closely, you'll see that each individual body part is very realistic. Look at the feet, for example. Legs were always shown from a side angle because a frontal view would necessarily foreshorten the feet. So, to avoid giving the deceased stubby feet, they painted them from the side. What's more, they preferred the view of the inside of the foot, with the big toe closest to the viewer, so all the drawings have two left feet. Funny. That's what my ex-girlfriend always told me. Maybe they drew me wrong in a previous life. Or maybe you're the reincarnation of an Egyptian prince. I always thought of myself as more of a Greek god. Now that you mention it, you do resemble Pan. Speak of the devil, here he is in all his glory. He's a goat. Only half, Albert, don't worry. <laughs> I had something like that in mind. Oh, a Kouros. You're very modest, Albert. Kuroi embodied a Greek ideal of perfect beauty, which must be why I fell for you. Well, maybe I'm not that perfect, but I come pretty close. It would be tough to be that perfect. As you can see, the sculpture is not entirely naturalistic. In a way, it's too perfect. Unlike a real human body, for example, it's perfectly symmetrical. And the muscle and bone are represented in more of an abstract way. Are there girlfriends this abstract, too? Funny you should mention it. The female counterpart to the Kouros is a Kore. You'd be disappointed to learn, however, that the Korai are usually fully dressed. Darn. No wonder the museum bought the male version. Hey, who's this over here? She doesn't look abstract at all. That's a sculpture of Nike. But she's not wearing sneakers. Ah, uh -huh. she's the Greek goddess of victory. She's pretty hot for a god. Well, we inherited our ideal of beauty from the Greeks. You can see she's quite different from the Venus of Willendorf, and she looks a lot more like the women you see in all the magazines today. Shame, really. Does she have wings because she's a god? Sort of. It's because she's a lesser god who needed wings to get about. The more powerful gods didn't need any help. So they were sort of like angels. They were the original angels, really. The early Christian artists got the idea to use wings to represent angels from the Greeks. Well, Nike may have wings, 
But with a body like that, I'll bet she's no angel. Christian angels are not of this world, and they were deliberately depicted as asexual creatures. But the Greek gods were very human, with foibles and desires and all. And the body shows it. As your reaction has just demonstrated, her body is very real and naturalistic. Hey, what's this, the housewares department? This is Greek and Roman pottery. Oh, I remember now. Wasn't there some famous poem about a Greek vase? I think you mean Ode on a Grecian Urn? Yes, that's it. Ode on a Grecian Urn. Greek vases told stories about their mythical heroes. The Romans seized on this concept, as they did on much of Greek art, and took it to a new level. Hey, did you know that the Romans invented cement? Cool. Is that why the family is so fond of cement shoes? Perhaps. In any case, that's what enabled them to build all those huge structures like the Pantheon and the Colosseum. Those colossal Romans. I guess size really mattered back then. Doesn't it always? <laughs> what room is this here? Ah. Oh. This is one of the new galleries. It's dedicated to Gothic painting. Gothic art was sort of a bridge between the Middle Ages and the Renaissance. The themes were still largely religious, but the human images were much more natural, and paintings began to exhibit perspective. Hey, tell me, who were some of the big Gothic artists? Cimabue was probably the first renowned artist who painted in the Gothic style. He painted in the Byzantine style, but he freed his painting of its flatness. You could credit him with making the first major move toward realism, which is really fundamental to the Western art tradition. Hmm. Interesting. Go on. The two artists who probably had the widest influence were Duccio, who worked in Siena, and Giotto, who worked in Florence. Giotto painted frescoes, right? Yep. What are frescoes, anyway? Isn't that just a fancy word for wall paintings? Yes and no. Frescoes are wall paintings, but they're one of the most durable techniques used in painting. The artist painted on wet plaster, and the paint would soak into the plaster. The plaster would then harden, and you would get a very deep painting. You could remove a thin layer of paint and get a completely fresh image. Wow. So, who do you like better, Duccio or Giotto? Duccio is wonderful. He extended and reinterpreted Byzantine art, but Giotto is just a tremendous figure in art history. He really transformed the Byzantine style and invented modern painting. He too painted scenes from Christ's life, but he humanized them. So Giotto wins. Well, Dante thought so at least. In the Divine Comedy, he praises Giotto over Cimabue. You gotta love Giotto, man. Oh. The dedication speech is starting. Let's hurry up. Hello, and welcome to all. I'm Dr. René Natali, and I am the curator here. In preparing for tonight's event, I was struck by the parallels between the European Renaissance, whose art we are showcasing here today, and our own little rebirth here at the museum. René has always had a poetic streak. In Renaissance Italy, 
the art of ancient Greece and Rome was rediscovered and artists turned to it for inspiration. We, too, looked to the classical period when renovating our façade. I am sure you will agree that it looks splendid and accurately suggests the fine collection we are building here. Eh, all these important buildings look the same. We've essentially adopted the ancient Greek and Roman models for our civic architecture and sculpture. And uh, just like the men and women of the Renaissance, who turned with new excitement to the world around them, eager to understand it, our museum has been redesigned to welcome the public and encourage exploration, understanding, and appreciation. I wouldn't mind appreciating that Nike goddess again. The new Renaissance wing comprises four main galleries. The first is just off the medieval galleries and is dedicated to the Gothic period or the Proto-Renaissance. Aren't we just there? What's the Proto-Renaissance? It simply means the predecessor, like Proto-Indo-European languages. Proto-Indo-what? It's the one language from which all others are believed to be derived. I get it. So the Proto-Renaissance is the period from which the Renaissance developed. I'm so on the ball. Shh. Let's listen. The remaining galleries lead visitors through the Italian Early Renaissance, the High Renaissance, and the Northern Renaissance. And again, I see parallels. Just as the Renaissance emphasized progress and scientific exploration, the new galleries include interactive computer stations, which provide historical and contextual information, allowing visitors a deeper understanding of the period. Even though we can't show visitors the real Mary Magdalene by Donatello or the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden by Masaccio, they will be able to examine a three-dimensional model of Donatello's masterpiece or witness the grief of Masaccio's Eve on screen. In Firenze, visitors can view Brunelleschi's plans for the Duomo, climb the stairs of the adjacent bell tower, or Campanile, which, by the way, was originally designed by Giotto himself. They can examine in detail each panel of Ghiberti's The Golden Gates of the Baptistery, and they'll have Leon Battista Alberti himself explain more about one of the most revolutionary discoveries of the Renaissance, perspective in his work on painting. And who better to show the theory in practice than Piero della Francesca, whose perspective was so mathematically precise that his paintings are virtual optical illusions. And then there is always Sandro Botticelli's stunningly sensual masterpieces. The birth of Venus and Primavera. Isn't that the one where she rises out of a shell enveloped in curly blonde hair? You seem to be quite on top of things, Albert. Only the stuff I like. There's another parallel with the Renaissance. Art was no longer sponsored solely by the church, but by wealthy princes. Then it was Lorenzo di Medici. Today, it's Bill Gates. In our virtual Firenze, visitors will also see Michelangelo's David, truly the embodiment of the Renaissance, humanistic and divine ideal. But they'll have to travel to Roma to find Michelangelo's painting on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. 
And how many of you out there know that Michelangelo designed the dome of St. Peter's? By the end of the 15th century, the center of the art world moved from Florence and Siena to Rome. Hey, is it true that Michelangelo spent four years on his back painting that ceiling? Yep. He must have used two coats. Hope he had a good chiropractor. And in our virtual Roma, visitors will also find plenty of information on Raphael and his frescoes which line the halls of the Vatican. Just as Socrates and Plato came to life in his school of Athens, these masters of the Renaissance will come to life before our eyes. Finally, I'd like to mention our special galleria dedicated to the embodiment of the Renaissance man, Leonardo da Vinci. There has perhaps never been as multi-talented an individual in the history of mankind, and we have made every attempt to introduce some of his lesser-known talents. La Gioconda and the Last Supper have become a permanent part of our mental landscapes. La what? La Gioconda. It's the Italian name for the Mona Lisa. Leonardo perfected the techniques of chiaroscuro. Hey, I know that. It's the use of light and shadow. And sfumato. Sfumato? Sounds gross. Fumo is Italian for smoke, and sfumato is the smoky effect he creates by merging colors at the edge of a form. We hope we've been able to recreate some of the excitement of da Vinci's mind. So, without further ado, please enjoy the new Galerias, try the cheese puffs, and join us in celebrating art. I knew it. Excuse me? Ever since Hans left her, she always snubs the northerners. It's always about Italy. Aha. Uh -huh. Visit Florence, visit Siena, visit Rome. What about the Netherlands, England, France, Germany? They produced some of the finest artists in the world. Like who? Jean-Claude Van Damme? Take Jan van Eyck, for example. I'd just as soon leave him alone, if you ask me. Van Eyck took oil painting to new heights. The detail in his paintings is simply astounding. In the Ghent altarpiece, every jewel is painted individually in colors so bright. The jewels, they look real. Anyone ever try to steal them? What? Nothing. Detail color, I get it. And in the marriage of Giovanni Anolfini and Giovanna Cenami, Peter Bruegel is another one. His paintings are so real and detailed, 